here is the dramatic story that rips aside the veil of secrecy surrounding the momentous question of the century. Are the flying saucers real? Everybody, listen carefully. The Martians are coming this way. We must evacuate the city. Take food and water and extra clothing with you. You are no longer in control of your listening device. Can't you see that you're at the mercy of every element of the universe? Rick and Ryan will take you on a science fiction cinematic journey into the post-atomic space age. I'm not going to cooperate with these monsters. We found a flying saucer. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. I think something is happening. A chronological deep dive into the past. Holy cow. We're here already. Put on your magnetic boots. Let's go. And strap yourselves in for your ride with... The Unidentified Flying Podcast. <laughs> Far into the reaches of deep space, we join the crew of the Lexaproteus 4 as they reach the Great Barrier of 1950 and discover a rare life form in the name of Mikkel Conrad. Hi, it's Rick aboard the Lexaproteus 4 for this new episode of the Unidentified Flying Podcast. And I've got my co-host, of course, Ryan here, and we're about to introduce you to the world of Mikkel Conrad. We're uh, coming back down to Earth a little bit. Uh, we're not in space on this one, but we are. We are cashing in on 1947 Flying Saucer Crits. This was the first movie to be made capitalizing. Kick it off, Bob Freed. No problem. Next up, the Flying Saucer. It was released January 5th, 1950. So this was the uh, first, wait, is that right? Because that'd be our first one. Oh, if it was in January. Yeah, that would be our first one. Fuck. Oops. <laughs> so much for chronology. No, because I'm, right. I'm getting this off Wikipedia now, and it was yeah. different on IMDb. Let me see what it says on uh, on IMDb. All right, you know what? Let's just... We fucked up. It's Let's our just, third movie. It doesn't matter. I'm it's just our gonna, third movie we're talking about. We're good. Yeah. We're uh, good. Directed by Mikkel Conrad. Written by Mikkel Conrad and Howard Irving Young. Is it Mikkel? Mikkel or Mikkel? <laughs> you might be right, but I'm going to say Mikkel. <laughs> Mikkel, see? So, Mikkel, Johnny Mikkels. <laughs> directed by Mikkel Conrad, written by Mikkel Conrad and Howard Irving Young. Produced by Mikkel Conrad, starring Mikkel Conrad. And I have no idea how much this movie was cost to make because I can't find budget information anywhere. There's not a lot on this movie. No. So basically what our story is here is that there are reports of flying saucers in Alaska and a wealthy American playboy by the name of Mike Trent, who's from there, is recruited by an intelligence officer to assist the Secret Service in exploring that area to find out if the Soviets are up to this. You're not trying to tell me you really believe there's a flying saucer. I'm not sure. Must be a spark of fire somewhere under all that smoke. This guy heads off to the Ameri to the uh, Alaskan wild, and he hooks up with another agent. They pose as a couple, and even though the first question they ask one of the locals when they see him is just, "Got any Russian spies around here?" 
Um, but no, they, <laughs> they pose as a couple and they investigate the flying saucer craze. And that's the movie. Yeah, that's it. And that it's- is it. <laughs> There is nothing more to this movie, and... It's just a travel movie, just to show off Alaska. Yeah. Every once in a while, you see a flying saucer. Yeah. And the guy gets drunk a lot. He gets drunk a lot in the movie. He gets drunk a lot. Before they leave for the mission... They like they like have this voiceover like and they got me back on the plane and it's like literally they show him like them like walking him to and he's so smashed he yeah. can't walk. Yeah. I wasn't sure just what I expected to find when and if I got there, but whatever it was, I had to find it. This guy, it was a passion project, and he just yes. wanted to go to Alaska and get drunk a lot. Just the dame and solve the mystery. Like the man said. Water, water everywhere, and not a drop to drink. Yeah, this is definitely one of those, like, what nowadays we'd look at, like, Miami Connection or Get Even. You know, one of those passion project movies made by the stars that kind of didn't work out right, but in retrospect, they're kind of fun. This one isn't one of those that I would call fun. No. Miami Connection, fun. Get Even, fun. This one, no. During the next few days, V. Langley and I followed Hank Thorne's orders. At least she followed them, and I followed her. If any Russian spies were watching us, which I doubted very much, they saw only a patient and his nurse supposed to be enjoying the fresh air, the sunshine, and the scenery. This is the longest hour and 15-minute movie I've ever sat through. <laughs> I agree with you. It is It's 75 minutes, and it lasts an eternity. Yeah. Did you know there's a 120-minute cut of this movie? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And they just, they use the same soundtrack score over and over, That's and it sounds like it's from a warped record. Yeah. Three days out, and I was getting fed up with the whole business. Flying saucers. So much bunk. Like, seriously, it's just shots of uh, of Alaska and wildlife, and yep. th- th- not much else. <laughs> Hey, V, a whale. Watch him. Oh, he's gone. Do you think he'll come back? If I was him, I wouldn't. There's a little mysterious villain agent that's kind of like someone that Willem Dafoe would play or something. Kind of just like wears a black turtleneck and his hair slicked back. And he's a little marginally creepy, I guess. But we don't really know what his deal is. It's... It kind of looks like um, villains from like uh, uh, one of the George Reeves Adventures in Superman. Yeah. It, it kind of has a little feeling of those television episodes, which are way better than this movie. But <laughs> Generic scientist spy. He's hanging out with the girl. It's a lot of shots of Alaska, like we've talked about. The, the weird, creepy dude who's like obviously up to no good. He's always watching them, you know, and they're just like, La la la, having fun. It's one time they're even like playing, like they start playing touch football. Like he hikes the ball through it stuff. It's like some weird moment. Yeah. But then Conrad Mickle like sneaks away. The whole sequence is just an excuse to show all the bars in this little resort town yeah. in Alaska. Cause they're showing every individual marquee and street light and and he's just getting more and more drunk. Cause the thing is, is Conrad or Mickle Conrad grew up here. Like 
So that's why he's going back. He's the best candidate for the job because he knows his way around. So he's like, I'm gonna try and find my own my old buddies. Right. Leave the bottle. Saves time. You're a busy guy, I can see that. You used to have a lot of friends, and you know. Been looking all over for them. And they're gone. They're all gone. Is that a fact? Hmm. It's a sad thing to lose life. It's a sad thing to lose all your friends. He does hook up with one that he, I will say, he kind of has a pretty decent rapport and conversation with as far as characters goes, as far as a scene in this movie. But the old man is like, it's like the Alaskan, uh, or the, uh, I don't know, the Mickle Conrad version of Burgess Meredith. Well, uh, hey, my old friend. Matt Mitchell, you old Wallace, you, how are you? I'm getting rich, Mike. I, I, I gotta learn how to spend money. You, you sure look like you're in the chips, all right. Play uh, more where this come from. So through a bit of information, drunken information, and a little bit of story business, he gets a tip to uh, fly over a certain area of the wilderness looking for places for the flying saucer to hide. And it's yeah. a lot of shots of the score and him with the plane. Wait, there's shots of the score? Yes. For some reason, the score and the plane are like tied together power wise because all of a sudden this, the plane starts going and like blanking out like it's having a problem. But the whole movie stops with it. Like all the sound, all the soundtrack, it does. So at first you think there's something fucked up with the reels of the film transfer that they made this from because you're like, what the hell is that? So basically what you're saying is Mikkel Conrad is a visionary. He in some way predicted the slew of more reality-based movies that would come about in the 60s and 70s, you know, Midnight Cowboy, Taxi. Yeah, re realism. Like he's just that every man, realism. He's a, he knows his drunks. He knows the scene, man. He's been there. He's, he's telling it like it is. I'll say this. No one plays drunk as good as Conrad Mickel. <laughs> like, oh, sit down. Will you have a little drink? You've had enough. Mike, why did you do it? Oh, you think I can sit down for things, don't you? And that's where you're going. I'm here to find out things. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, I get it. You know, uh, 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 Ray Milland goes and wins an Oscar. For playing a drunk. Nicolas Cage has won an Oscar for playing a drunk. Robert Duvall in Tender Mercies. Like, okay. But none of them compare no. to Conrad Mickle, as far as you're concerned. As far as on-screen portrayals of drunkenness. Yes. He should have he should have gotten the Oscar. In fact, all three of those actors, all three of those actors should give their Oscars back. Yep with explicit instructions to have them delivered to Mikkel Conrad's grave. Yes. I think all future Oscar winners should give their Oscars to Mikkel Conrad. Just for anything. Like, Here. even best costumes, give it to Mikkel Conrad. Just come on. 
I've I've seen this movie like strangely enough, even though I've always disliked it, and I probably first saw it about thirty something years ago when I found it at a blockbuster. Um, even then, up till now, I I don't like this movie at all. But I I every once in a while I throw it in and watch it. <laughs> I understand that. And there there's always those movies that you go, you know. Maybe it's not as bad as I remember. No, because it because it, it, it gives you instant amnesia afterwards when you watch yeah. it. Oh yeah, it's got a wild beginning with like just like stock footage left and right with like a, a, a flying saucer whizzing past and through, and then it just cuts to quiet and a lady standing to her profile, looking in the sky, and then she turns slowly, looks dead into the camera. Waits about two beats and then screams, and yeah. it's like the most awkward. Well, they had to eat up the runtime, dude. They probably did ninety takes, and he was like a little bit longer. Just wait. Yeah, just a little bit longer. Hold that one second longer before you scream. It's one of those movies that um, when people want to go and diss on like Plan Nine from Outer Space or something, it's like, trust me. There are worse movies than that. That's way better than this movie. Because Flying Saucer commits the the biggest sin any movie can commit, and that's it's boring. Yeah, it's nothing. Like, and I'm not I'm not just saying that it it is categorically, objectively boring. I decided to fly back to Juno immediately and get in touch with Hank Thorne in the nearest Air Force base. Wouldn't take long to put the Flying Saucer in the bag with Uncle Sam pulling the strings. It's inept. It's just you, you could. You know the the director did not know what he was doing, and I doubt, you know, he even listened to the crew if they tried to advise him. Um, you know, he can barely be, barely be asked to frame a shot, like it's just so flatly done. Um, and the only moments where it gets a little, just, neat, for want of a better word, is yeah, when you see the flying saucer and then. When they finally discover the flying saucer at the end, yeah, it's cool, snifty. But spoiler alert: this is Scooby Doo time. We're talking about folks. It the whole time this this thing is just the Russians. There's no aliens involved. There's no this. This isn't they, from outer space. They it's tease nothing. you with science fiction and basically just give you a spy thriller. I can't. I obviously cannot confirm this, but. I have a suspicion that they own, that this was something in the works for a while, and it was a spy thriller. That when the flying saucer craze happened, they, they retooled it. Pro I mean, I there I can find nothing supporting that online. I, I honestly think it was it started as a nature video for for Alaska. No, because you see that a lot in these in some of these really old cheap independent movies. From back then, they yeah. eat up the runtime with stock footage, and it has yeah, nothing I, I to do with. I get that, but I, I actually think I read somewhere that it actually started as a as a travel film for Alaska. I mean, you could be wrong. I've never seen anything in that regard. I could be wrong. <laughs> I could be right. You could be black. You could be white. But it is kind of weird. Like at the beginning, they. There's a title card that comes up and says, We gratefully acknowledge the cooperation of those in authority who made the release of the Flying Saucer film possible at this time. <laughs> who told you that? The manager is serious? Yeah. Like, like who? <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Who made this movie possible? 
like trying to make you think I had to go through a lot of channels to get this this mundane movie yeah. out. You know, but that's an old. I mean, that's William Castle showmanship shit. Yeah, so it, it, it it's is whatever. But I just like that they have because it's very documentary adjacent at times. That's how just the way things are presented. We're on the case and we're following it. Dun, 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 dun. We arrived, yeah. and you know it might be a good. It might be a good movie if you've never seen a movie before. <laughs> I, if you have never seen a movie before and you watch this, you will not want to watch another. Movie. But hey, you know what? At the end of the day, it was a passion. I and mean, we're guessing it was a passion project. Pretty obvious yeah. from the from the credits. And you know what? He tried, I guess. Rock on, Mikel. Mikel, Mikel, Michael. I don't even think the poor guy had much of a career. And this may have been his one shining moment. I think he had a career as an actor, but like this is like his one like directorial. I think I'm not sure. Yeah, I have to. He did not do very much. Oh, you know what? Is he's actually in the American footage of Godzilla, but he is in. Um, and yeah, well, so he had, of course, and he done a few things. He he was in a movie called Untamed Woman, which Women. we'll be getting to on this show. Um, uh, and one of my favorite movies, um, he was in the one of the Francis the Talking Mule pictures. And but I've had Luke Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff. That's true. He's in that too. Yeah. And and Arctic Manhunt. <laughs> well, we don't have to read off his whole IMDb. No, but, but still, I mean, just to say he didn't do anything, you know, well, but no, he, he, he was in some stuff. Way to go, Mikel Conrad. No, I love you, dude. And yeah, if you were still alive and I had the money, I know I'd help you do a remake of this movie. Oh, you died in 1982. I'm sorry, dude. Um, I guess that's not going to happen. Oh, the other crazy the other crazy thing about the movie is that. There's a there's like a, a local guy, the only other guy that's even familiar in this movie. Um, and he isn't familiar really because he's not recognizable as himself. It's like, oh my god, that is him. But the the only other actor, and it's the the character that these the it's, I think it's the Russians kind of recruit to like fly their machine or something. Or I don't know towards the end, but his name's Turner. But it's Denver Pyle, who later would be Uncle Jesse. Yeah, super young. <laughs> When you were when you were younger, you I'm sure like most people our age, you watched Dukes of Hazard on TV, right? Yeah, I watched it not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, of course I did. Did you ever watch the show strictly for the purpose of seeing if any chickens would get hit every time the general Lee peeled out? No, it's funny you say that because I didn't as a kid, but as I'm watching it now, like because I I went through the first two seasons like a month and a half ago. I was like, how on earth have I seen this many movies and never seen a chicken get nailed in one of these scenes? Because My dad pointed that out to me when I was a kid. He would always like, those chickens must move fast or something. And yeah. Yeah. Digs a hazard, no chicken. It became like a joke yeah. in my school about, the about you know, do they pay these chickens extra hazard pay <laughs> as extras? Because they peel the generally out, dust goes flying, chickens go flying, and... You know, the banjos kick in, and it's like, man, did they all make it? Like, how long There are times where one is dead set under the tire yeah. almost, and you're like, oh, that one's a goner, and somehow, whoop, it goes right around the side of it. And you're like, whoo. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just wonder if uh, 
the ASPCA was in on that one. Uh, ah, they had to and, be the. You know, I mean, if next, hey, next time you go watch it, yeah, watch the end credits and see if it says chicken mortician. No animals were harmed. Because <laughs> if they say it, then that means that there was a representative of the ASPCA yeah. on set every time watching. So. Well, I mean, this is this is Universal TV City back in 1980, so <laughs> they had to be. Yeah, it's you not know. like the early days when the uh, directors force Clint Howard to bash the skull of a bird. Oh my God! Camera. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I imagine by the eighties they had they had better rules for that. But yeah, that's true. Um, Wasn't that on Gentle Ben? I think, or one of the, or no, what was it? Was a movie? TV movie. Yeah, and uh, they had him bash. <laughs> he kills a bird or something. I don't remember the exactly what it is, but. Yeah, they made him do it. Look. Jesus. Well, he talks about it in his memoir. So. In this book, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, He's like, I, I still remember that. Uh, man, yeah. So. Dukes of Hazzard is a good show. I'm <laughs> just saying it, it really is. Better than I ever remembered it as when I went back and watched uh, it. It's the most entertaining show there ever was, I think. I watched it a lot as a kid. I haven't really kept you, up you with it. You really stuff. should go back and watch the first couple seasons. That's all you need. You know what I mean? But, like, it's amazing. Like, the the I mean, just in Sorrel Book and um, uh, 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 James Best, they are amazing. Like, they, they were, like, a perfect comedy team. And the guy who played Boss Hog, he was, like, army intelligence shit where he knew, like, seven, nine different languages and was, like, a spy in life and super, like refined person like it, he was so that when you watch boss hog and and same with james best they, like those are 100 percent performances going for the sky you know because they are just insane in that show but they're great so hey thanks conrad mickle or mickle conrad for giving us denver piles start in uh flying saucer you know what uh james best is also in though Pertaining to our movies coming up. Pertaining to, yeah, he is in the Forbidden. He's in Forbidden Planet. Oh, is he? Um, I remember yeah. him in a different one. Um, he's in Forbidden Planet. He was also in Rolling Thunder. Oh, I know that and, one, but that's the '70s, so and I didn't bring it up. One of Stephen King's favorite horror films, The Killer Shrew. That's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. Uh, seriously. If you don't believe me, he says it in Dance with Cop. Killer Shrews is one of his all time. Oh, yeah. Why films. not? So, do you know that James Best deal with it? Um, knew Quentin Tarantino when he was younger and helped him out by letting Quentin sleep on his couch and not pay rent while he was getting his first oh. reservoir dogs off the off the ground. James Best. I did not know that. That's pretty awesome. I did awesome. not know that. The only thing is, is that Dukes of Hazard never jumped the shark and sent him into space. Um, you are wrong, my friend. <laughs> really? The Dukes of Hazard went into space? I'm telling you, see, the last season of Dukes of Hazard, there's some wild shit that happens in that last season. Like, there's Roscoe with a big robot. <laughs> okay. All right. And hold on to yourself. A little alien, a little alien, like Aurora encounter. Oh, no, no. Not just like that guy, okay? Uh... But a little alien comes to Hazard County and becomes like cousin cousin from outer space kind of Duke boy. I remember none of this. It's outrageous. <laughs> and I 
I watched, dude. I even watched the spinoff when the cousins came. Oh know? yeah, no, the 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 fifth no fifth season when they got replaced for uh yeah half when a season. Tom Wolpat Josh Snyder got replaced. I even watched that, but I do not remember anything. Yeah. About aliens or robots and Dukes of Hazzard. And there's one where where Boss Hog and Roscoe, there's a haunted house <laughs> in the town. And you can just do the math. You might want to do season one and two of Dukes of Hazard. Do an epi- do a couple episodes of the cousins and then go straight to season eight. And then call it good. <laughs> but I digress. Back to TFS. This is not as a buff and aficionado of these of this era of filmmakers filmmaking this is not one of the more well-known ones it's definitely you could stump anybody with it because most people do not know this movie casual fans do not care or know about this movie it's not i'm not sure how much of a release it got you know like well it was it was an independently produced movie and those those weren't as you know, they didn't get the push from the studios, of course. So um, I'm sure it did not do well at all. Otherwise, we probably would be hearing about it more. Um, I'm guessing we might have had Flying Saucer 2. And a, a release of it's not that easy to find, too, because I mean, the ones I think we watched is like off YouTube. Yeah, you can find it on uh, on YouTube. So watch Mikkel uh, Conrad's masterpiece in uh, stunning 180p and uh, and, and enjoy. Yeah, but for see, free. that's that's the thing about this movie is that I really don't like it at all. But if Criterion put out a 4K double disc of it, oh, I'd buy it in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'd buy it in a heartbeat. Like, oh, totally. I. The making of feature at is what it's probably one of those movies where the making of feature at is way more interesting yeah. than the actual yeah. movie. Um, yeah, some get get some historian to talk about it. You like know? that's the kind of thing. Like this is the kind of story. If I had the means and the and the money, I would make an Ed Wood style movie out of like about this dude. Yeah, yeah, like this dude. Like you know who yeah. was he? Like what he appeared in a few movies and he wrote, directed, and starred in one. Yeah. What's his story? Like, why did he want to make this movie? It's just so hard to find any information on this. Yeah, so it's, it's if you're a completist and really want to... If you're following along on this... Why, I, I typically tell people to watch everything at least once. I mean, it's not going to hurt. That's what I say. So I saw someone online the other day, and it said, like, let's be honest. Is there any Sir Fia Loren movie worth watching? And I was like, what the fuck? Of course there is. Clickbait bullshit. Watch all of it. You can start with grumpier old men. That's worth watching. Um, that kind of stuff is so reductive and pointless to me. And it's that it's that whole school of thought that liking anything before you were born is is yeah. lame. You know, I'm too cool for stuff that happened before I was born. I'd rather watch a crappy movie from the 50s than a crappy movie from now. Oh, I <laughs> absolutely agree. Like the yeah. other night I watched uh, Virus with Jamie Lee Curtis. Donald oh, Sutherland. We saw, the, we saw that at the theater. Didn't no, you remember I didn't. It? I didn't see it. Oh, I but, did. Um, I watched it and I was like, man, even a shitty 90s movie is more entertaining. <laughs> like in this, and folks, this is a movie I would have probably hated walking out of the theater of being like, man, that was dumb. It wasn't that good. But, but... it's it's still not that good, but I had more fun watching it than say yeah. Avatar 2. Yeah. Like I, I don't <laughs> want to get into Avatar. Okay. 
You know what? Because we were talking before we went on the show, right? About how boring I thought Avatar 2 was. Here's a reference point for you. Avatar 2 is just as boring as the Flying Saucer. Oh. In my opinion. And it's like three times as long. Oh, man. (laughs) There's an hour of Avatar 2, like an hour, hour and a half that is as boring as this. I wonder if there's super fans out there like, nope, that's it. You know, they had me until they started dissing Avatar 2 and then they they stopped the podcast. I have yet to meet a single fan of that franchise, so if there is one out there, just let me know, man. I got nothing against you. We know a friend who likes those movies, but that's all right. Who? I'm sure the 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 Gibmeister does the. Well, he gets maybe. a pass. Yeah, he <laughs> he gets a pass. Yeah, that's yeah. Any awards? Did this movie get nominated for or win any awards? <laughs> if you can't piece no. together the context clues, <laughs> none. None. Um. No. Maybe some local film festival or something that. Went defunct the next year. I don't know. It might have won something. Well, you know what? But... You know what I'm doing right now? I'm getting a piece of paper out. I'm gonna make an award for this movie. And Are you gonna actually post it? Yeah, we, we will make an award for this movie. The the Mickle Conrad Award. I don't know. We'll just yeah. Best best flying saucer movie uh, from nineteen from nineteen fifty. Yeah, sure. <laughs> best movie called Flying Saucer. So, yeah, that sums it up, folks. That's the only three science fiction movies released theatrically in 1950. Um, I don't know why I said that because they didn't have direct to video. Everything was theatrically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were some TV programs and there were some, you know, was it serials. Direct to View Master. We're not, <laughs> we're not getting into any of those. So, I'm just saying that the three science fiction movies released that year, feature films, we just covered all three of them. So, um, to recap, Project XM. Rocket Ship XM, good. not Project Rock, XM. Project X. I was thinking of Project <laughs> X. Shock the monkey. <laughs> yeah, Matthew Broderick and Helen Hunt. Yep, Rocket Ship XM, Destination Moon. And the Flying Saucer. So all in all, Rick, I, I'll get, I, I want to know what you think after this. I say this, but all in all, I think it was a, though slight, it was a promising start to the deck. Yeah. Not a great start. No. That happens next year. Hey, two out of three ain't but, bad. Yeah. You really want to just wait till next year, next episode. Yeah. Because then it explodes. Then then it's like we get monsters, mutants, everything. And then it dies for like a year. <laughs> and then it comes back. Yeah. There is another year coming up that's really kind of wonky. Yeah. But um, 1950, I would say... Not too bad. It would have wet my appetite for more. Yeah. Um, and I, in a way, it's kind of cool that there were only three because then it was like, wow, the, I don't know, maybe a little more precious and it meant something yeah. to only have three instead of like, you know, a new Marvel movie every other weekend. Yeah. You get used to it. Yeah. And the throw wears off. So now it's kind of like, but now, but don't get me wrong. Later as we get the decade, it becomes a freaking machine. You know, uh, like the, you go from three <laughs> movies out in one year to like, 45 the next or something yeah. it's like there's a lot more yeah. coming folks yeah but um no what i was saying is it's kind of interesting that as the world itself was grappling with and trying to get caught up on real life science 
and Discovery. The movies fumbled a little bit getting there, but they got there. Yeah, they get there. And that's when they that's when they started dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So um, I just think it's it's a very interesting year because when you look at the what was going on in the world building up to it, you can definitely see what gave birth to these, mm-hmm. and um, it would kick off a craze that would last the whole decade and in some ways shape everything up until now in the science fiction film genre. So, what you what do you think, Rick? Uh, what did you think of of flying saucer? Or the episode? Oh, of the year. Of the year? Your recap of the of the kickoff of the year. Of the decade. I'm a fan. Yeah, I, I, I'm a fan. It, there's some there's an innocence to it. It's like it's it's yeah. all exploration. It's all wonder. Um we yeah. we haven't we haven't gotten to a point where we're like, you know, the, the, the signal hasn't bounced back. Like, okay, now what's coming at us? Martians. Uh, yeah monolith monsters everything just a just a tease of things to come to talk about yeah uh it's a it's a more innocent year of uh science fiction i would say the other thing the flying saucers got going for it is it was probably the first it wasn't the first movie to kind of deal with you know the red scare but it definitely was like the first one that's even remotely science fiction ish to kind of have the red scare be part of its plot you know what i mean we're gonna see that a lot more yeah as we go on yeah well all three of them are in their own way well the other ones they were but not so much the spy aspects of no but they were they were a reactionary reaction to to like we've said sure all right well i have invented a new game to combat the boredom out here in the cosmos. And oh, you invented I wanna... it. No, I'm in. Yes, I did because okay. it's called Six Degrees of Richard Gere. Oh, it's different. Okay, I get it. Yeah, it's different. Uh, God damn it! It's, it's a lot it's more... Richard Gere. No, I it's different. Get... It's harder. I get it. No, seven. Seven is the number. No, no. Seven little chipmunks twirling on a branch. Okay. But no, Richard, six degrees of Richard Gere. And what I've, I, I, and figured this out. So let's see if Rick can figure it out. But I want you to connect Conrad Mickle mm-hmm. to Richard Gere. Oh, okay. In six movies. In six movies? In six movies, within six movies. I've done it. There are variations you could do, but I've, okay, I'm to Richard to Gere. You All right, hold know. on. To Richard Gere. Yeah. Conrad Mickle to Richard Gere. Okay. Uh, Do it. Yep. Hold on. I can hear his brain going. Got it. Got it. Yeah, you think so? Yes. Okay. What do you got? Conrad Mickle was in the killer. Meet, uh, Abbott and Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff was in The Terror with Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson was in Turns of Endearment with Deborah Winger. Deborah Winger was in with an officer and gentleman with Richard Gere. Wow. That is not at all what I have. But th- <laughs> that is impressive. No, I'm proud of you. That's, that is not at all what I have. Um, yep. Mine was... Um, Conrad Mickle was in Godzilla King of the Monsters. Oh yeah. With Takashi Shimizu. 
<laughs> okay. Takashi is in The Seven Samurai with Toshiro Mifune. Toshiro Mifune is in 1941 with Dan Aykroyd. Dan oh. Aykroyd is in My Stepmother Was an Alien with Kim Basinger. You know what? I like yours, too. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty I good, like huh? that one too. That's anytime you have a trip through 1941, that's hot. Okay. All right. Yeah. But, um, so good job. I do want to Sweet. bring up something else, but this has nothing to do with anything other than Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> and I Rick's probably the only one that's gonna care. But I just discovered this. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of my little robots, the um, you know, the you know those batteries not included guys. Yeah. I made a few of those in my spare time, and they, they sometimes slip these pieces of paper to me with, like, interesting factoids. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you know when the Dukes of Hazard reunion released in uh, 1997? Yeah, yeah, TV yeah. TV movie directed by Louis Teague. Yep. Of Cujo. I have and that, yeah. Alli- alligator fame. Uh, did you know that in that TV movie, uh, Cynthia Rock Rock. What? An Whoa! <laughs> this I Cynthia guess, yeah. Rock Rock has a tie to the Dukes of Hazzard. That sounds great. These two fools are too busy talking about the Dukes of Hazzard. They forgot to give their star rating. What a bunch of freaking morons. She, she's great. I, 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 she's one of the, the few, uh, Facebook, well, not few, but Facebook pages I follow. I see her. She's always like, I'm out on the beach. I'm at some like, I'm underwater fighting sharks, and yeah. And well, she still looks, time you she talk looks to great. Us, talk to Ms. Rothrock. I want you to ask her about the Dukes of Hazard yeah. reunion, and and ask her if she's and ever met what it was like. Did she ever meet, meet Mickle, Louis Tig? Did she ever meet Mickle Conrad? She may have. Maybe. Well, okay. Cynthia Rothrock. Oh no! Let's do six degrees. We'll do Cynthia, six degrees of Cynthia Rothrock. I don't know if I can so do Conrad that. So Conrad Mickle to Cynthia Rothrock. Uh, I'll hit you up the next episode. Yeah, next episode because I can't do that right now. Or you and the listening audience, if you can swear on a stack of literature to whatever religion you ascribe to or not, you can swear on a pile of leaves or something if you're, you know, a nature worshiper person. Uh, just promise that you don't use the internet yeah. to play this game. Yeah. Okay? Use your own goddamn recall. Yeah. So if anybody out there in is if you're picking up this transmission, we challenge you to link Conrad Mickle to Cynthia Rothrock in six or less films. Yeah. Do it. Do it. You'll win a prize. Uh, we'll say your name on the air. <laughs> what a prize. We'll make a recording of us saying your name, and we'll yeah. bury the cassette tape on like one of Neptune's moons. Yeah, or we'll put it on Mars next to next to uh, Ryan Liskey and his brother and Chris Randall's yeah. name on the Mars probe. Whatever. Well, you never know if uh, if you're gonna run into Tommy Lee J- Jones out there at night. So yeah, just is he the it is, is he the one that's. Who's the one that's like frozen and dead at the end of of Space Cowboys? Is it James Garner? That's Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, it's him. No, Tommy Lee Jones, because <laughs> his character is. I remember, remember one of them stays behind or something. So he he gets he jettisons himself off the 
yeah. nuclear satellite thing. And he it ends with him just kind of like Chilling. singing a song or something on the moon because he's going to. Well, doesn't um, it show him actually like frozen, like dead? Like, no, I, I swear it no. does. I, I'll have to double check. I, I don't think it I gets swear that. It's, no, I swear it shows him like frozen. No. OK. All right. I'm willing to bet you space credits. OK. I'll, I'll bet you at, all the uh, Raymond Noodle space credits I have. To, uh, to be used to, when we reach Deep Space Nine. All right. You can use. We'll cash them at um, Quarks. Yes, if you can prove to me that it's not Tommy Lee Jones at the end of oh. Space Cowboys. Oh, yeah. Oh, because I know it is. Since okay, since we lightly touched on on Quarks, I do want to say one thing that was missed or an observation that I can't believe I did miss. Um, or didn't think to mention, but in our last episode, Destination Moon, there uh -huh. is kind of a Star Trek tie because John Archer is got Bakula's name in the cat as the captain of Enterprise. Oh, you know, Dick Wesson's kind of Trip Tucker. Trip Tucker ain't no sucker, I tell you that. of the crew of the Lexaproteus 4, I just wanted to say thank you. The importance of you listening to our show is of extraordinary magnitude. So please like, share, talk about it to your friends, post a comment, anything you would normally do on social medias. You have our gratitude. If you write a review, we'll read it on the air. And once again, smash, hit, whatever the kids say, all the like buttons, and help us defeat Algorithm, the Dark Lord of the Universe. Tune in next week for an all-new mission to Lost Worlds. Flying saucers. So much bunk. <laughs>